What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 60 of The Next Bite, and this one is all about drones. Not in the traditional context where we talk about, you know, military or hobbyists using their quadcopters. This is about using drones to protect and monitor life in the animal kingdom. So we talk about two examples where drones are being used to help save the lives of pigeons and dolphins. I think it was really interesting, and I hope you will as well. Buckle up. Let's go. Episode 60. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is The Next Bite Podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. What's up, folks? Like we said, this is episode 60, and we're talking all about drones, and not just drone technology in general, actually the intersection of where drones interact with, you know, animal life. So biology um, and how the newest technology we've been discovering in the aerospace realm, you know, might impact what we're learning about um, in terms of pigeons and dolphins and, you know, all of our animal friends out there in the animal kingdom. Um, First, though, before we jump into any of that, I want to take a second and talk about our sponsor, Mauser Electronics. If you've been listening to the show, you know Farboden are huge fans of Mauser. Um, we use them for our own electronics projects, and it's also like one of the leading electronics suppliers in the world. Um, one of the great benefits of that is they know a ton about new technologies, and one thing that I found really awesome is in their technical resources, they also know a lot about the history of technology. Um, which, I mean, that just means they've got a bunch of smart folks over there. But I love reading their technical resources. One of the articles I'm linking in today's show notes is about the history of drone technology all the way from 1840, if you think about it. I did not know drones exist in the 1800s all the way till today. This is news to me, so please do explain. Yeah, it was actually, uh, they were first developed for war. Um, okay. People made unmanned aerial vehicles that were hot air balloons with bombs on them in the first Italian war of independence in 1840. And they designed these balloons that they could fly over, get carried in the wind current, and then they would pop or deflate right over Venice and basically drop bombs in Venice. So kind of a dark beginning, but it's really cool to see how drones have evolved from this military application in the 1800s up till now where they can make changes in the emergency medical realm, the industrial and scientific realm, entertainment and sports they talk about fireworks shows that are made completely of drones as well as biology and you know the animal realm which is what we're talking about in today's episode the the uh background technical resources that mauser makes is definitely like some of my favorites because it gives you the full context of this technology that you have now you know where did it actually start what was the humble beginnings of it so i really like that one yeah and it's a little little bit redeeming right this technology that was originally designed to kill people can now help save lives of some of our animal friends, right? That's a good way of thinking about it. Good perspective. Yeah. yeah. A happy ending to this story, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right. I'm going right. to jump us into our first article. Um, this is all about autonomous drones that we think can help solve our pigeon problem. And if you didn't know that there's a pigeon problem, um, I, I guess I... I knew that there were pigeons crawling all over the cities in the world. I didn't know how much of a problem it was, but for both, like you go down to DC or New York city or any of these major cities in the U S at least you've seen tons of pigeons, right? I have. And just to clarify, when you say pigeon problem, are you talking about how they're spies for the government or where are you going with that? I'm not talking about the birds aren't real movement, but what I am saying is just in the U S 1.1 billion dollars a year in property damage from pigeons. 
Um, they also like, spread like them defecating in different places or like tearing it up. Both. So like, oh my they god, they eat stuff. They sit on stuff. Their poop is actually really acidic, so it like causes concrete to break down faster, um, and it also spreads diseases. So like oh having hordes of pigeons right crawling around all the major cities it's not a great thing right um and it actually causes just in the u.s 1.1 billion dollars a year in property damage in other major cities around the world it's not as well studied but it causes huge damage there as well um and pigeons are actually everywhere right they're in rural areas as well but it's pretty easy to keep them out of rural areas like in fields they have really noisy devices that if it detects birds coming nearby emits large chirps that scares scares all the birds away that's more challenging in urban areas where there's a lot of people packed in you know densely and you don't want to have annoying noises chirping all the time or there might be a couple things like other birds that will set it off as false positives and stuff like that right um most of the pigeon pigeon deterrent technology that exists today has actually been around for a couple decades um there's like spikes on stuff or nets or electric fences that like shock the pigeons when they land on there. It's all designed to teach the pigeons not to come back. But th- the problem is those solutions are all expensive and they mm-hmm. actually harm the pigeons too. So like there's a mortality rate Humane. for pigeon flocks associated with spikes, as you can imagine, because it stabs in the foot or right. nets because they can get tangled in the nets or the electric fences if they get shocked too hard. So there aren't great solutions so far for keeping pigeons off of buildings when you want to protect the buildings, but also not kill the pigeons. It's it's funny you say that. Uh, about two years ago, I was a judge at the Loudoun County Science Fair, and one of the coolest projects I saw was a pigeon slash crow deterrent that they wanted to build. And it was essentially, they, they were outlining the exact same problems you mentioned, and they wanted to put like a little robot that was on a rail on top of your roof that would go back and forth scaring off the pigeons. So it seems like this is a bigger problem than I originally thought. And uh, that solution obviously had, had its uh, downfalls. But now I'm curious, what, what is the secret sauce that um, these folks have come up with? Well, I before I jump into their technologically inspired solution, I want to jump into the biologically inspired solution. So actually in mother nature and actually before a lot of this technology had evolved to where it was, one of the best ways to control pigeons um, was actually to use raptors. So like eagles, owls, falcons, trained birds to help chase off pigeons from an area. And it actually conditions the pigeons to learn not to return to that area if a raptor was there, you know, very often, right? It, it's one of their natural predators, so it scares them off. It, you don't actually hurt anything with the raptor, but you just have it swoop over and scare them away. The problem is with using real raptors, right? There's a really high demand. There's, you know, billions of pigeons everywhere and there's a really low supply. I mean, think of how many people there are that have a trained falcon that are willing to go hire out their falcon to go swoop over buildings every time there's a pigeon on there. It's not realistic. And if it is, it's probably really expensive, right? Sounds like a very niche uh, market to go after. Yeah, well, my my joke here, for everyone who's aware of SaaS, software as a service, I think someone could probably make a RAS business, Raptors as a service, and start selling out their Falcon services. <laughs> but Billion dollar idea right there, folks. If anyone wants to pick it up and run with it, right? if anyone as, wants as, to run with it, do it. Well, not as scalable as finding a way to do it with technology, right? So there might be a few RAS millionaires out there, but I think there's a better <laughs> opportunity for DAS, drones as a service. Um, so their secret sauce here, they have a $500 camera and a $600 drone. That's it. So it costs less than $1,200 for their entire solution. 
the camera system sits on the roof and looks for pigeons in they call it the monitored area basically the the area where you don't want pigeons to be landing on um they made sure that it's a ptz camera which just means that it can pan tilt and zoom ptz so it can kind of look around different parts of the roof um so you don't need a full camera system you can just use one camera to look around the entire monitor the entire roof area they had that camera hooked up to an ai convolutional neural network that learned to apply bounding boxes to the pigeons identifying where they were on the roof and how many there are and basically what it does is it converts these boxes right cameras looking on the roof it sees a pigeon land there it draws a box around it virtually it converts those boxes into pins in 3d space and it basically creates a flight path and 3d gps coordinates for a drone that's sitting on the roof to go fly through those through those waypoints and chase off any pigeons that are there on the roof. And the drone has a camera on it as well. So it's basically learned to swoop, swoop by just like a Raptor does, right? Just like a Falcon. And it also has the added benefit that it can hover there until the pigeons are gone. So you don't need to make multiple passes with the drone. So the camera watches to see when there's pigeons. When there are pigeons present, it sends the drone out and it swoops there and it swoops by until the drone, until the pigeons are gone. Now, here's my question. Do they stay away? Because with what you said, the pack, the raptors are are their uh, you know natural nemesis. So they're uh, over generations, I guess they they've evolved to be afraid of them, and when they see them in an area, they avoid it to you know exist and not die. Um, do they recognize the drone as a raptor-like creature and actually stay away from the area, or do they keep coming back and the raptor um, the drone is kind of like a human that just keeps scaring them off? So it does involve a lot of drone intervention, so to speak, right? Okay. You have to keep using the drone over and over again. Their idea is that this drone and camera solution would be permanently stationed on a roof of a building that you want to protect. That being said, it dropped pigeon habitation time by 96%. So think about, you know, on average, however much time pigeons spend on the roof of this building, it dropped it by 96%. So only 4% of the time normally there are pigeons on the roof. And what they said that was was it was mostly lead time of waiting for the drone to be deployed. Caveat here, the drone flies completely autonomously. The camera works completely autonomously. So it it recognizes that there are pigeons on the roof and then it sends the drone out. But because they're doing it in a city where the airspace is controlled and there's a lot of regulations, they waited for human intervention every Ah. single time before sending the drone. So in a five-day period, the drone was deployed 55 times. Every single time a human had to press the go button before it did that. And it says they wait on average for 20 to 25 seconds for the human to go click OK. So they could basically get, they reduced habituation time of pigeons by 96%. They said they could get another 20% efficiency increase by fully removing the human from the system. Wow. So the human in the loop system, that's to make sure that there's nothing obstructing the drone or to monitor the drone as it operates for safety reasons. And I think it also reduces their liability, right? Making sure that there was a human involved in every single deployment of the drone um, and it was monitored, right? So there there is a human in the loop. Their eventual goal is to remove the human from the loop, which will get them another 19% efficiency increase. Okay. And cost-wise, right? You know, you're you're a business, and now you've invested in this thing for eleven hundred dollars. Um, I know you gave the one billion dollar estimate as the yearly cost in the United States, right? Yeah. So is is there a is there a savings uh, number based on how the duration that the pigeons hang around in a given environment? Because I know them pooping is probably 
not relevant to how long they stay somewhere. They can just fly over and poop, as some of my friends have experienced in the past. In DC. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure what the uh, initial payback period is, but one of the big benefits here, you know, cost is one of them, right? It costs a lot less to install this system, right? Imagine just putting a drone and a charging spot for it, as well as a camera hookup on top of a building, as opposed to applying spikes or an electric fence or netting all around your entire building. The secondary benefit of this, right, is that it doesn't harm any of the pigeons. So in each of those 55 deployments, every single pigeon in the flock remained safe. So none of the pigeons were harmed, whereas with nets and spikes and electric fences, it does harm the pigeons generally. So um, there's a humane benefit as well as cost and effect effectiveness in this. They did mention a few challenges, and I'm going to put them in order of what I think is like least scary challenge to most scary challenge. So they mentioned that with their AI system, the, the camera, the computer vision system, there were a number of false positives. So it thought there was a pigeon and that deployed the drone when there wasn't a pigeon. Okay. And it also had a bunch of false negatives. So there was a pigeon that was like slightly obscured by the curvature of the roof or something, and it wouldn't deploy the, the drone right away. Um, that being said, I think that, that, that challenge basically just requires more reps, right? The more training data that convolutional neural network gets, better the better it will be at recognizing pigeons. For sure. The more scary challenges um, that, that they mentioned are that, one, they think that pigeons might get used to the drone, so they're, they're not sure. They haven't tested it yet in an extended period of time across a wide population of pigeons in buildings in different regions. What they want to do is expand their testing so then they can realize whether or not the pigeons are going to get used to the drone and then just sit there and become indifferent to it. Or if it will truly work, you know, kind of crossing their biological wires, making them recognize this is a natural predator or mimics a natural predator of mine that flies away. And the other challenges they said in rain, heavy rain or snow or sleet, they're not sure if the drone can actually fly out and send it, send the pigeons away. Um, so there's the weather aspect of that as well, whereas the spikes and nets work just fine in a rainy weather. I have a billion dollar idea. Hear me out, right? Hit me with it. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, uh, well, you talked about Falcon inspired drone landing gear, Yeah. right? And now we have a situation where a Falcon would be super handy and they're using a drone and they're afraid of the pigeons getting used to the drone. So you adapt the drone to be even more like a Falcon with the landing gear that looks like Falcon feet. Yeah, maybe. Boom. Problem solved. I, I bet they could even they could even just camouflage this quad quadcopter drone to look a little more like probably. a Falcon, not even using the landing gear. And that would probably increase the effectivity or at least reduce the risk of the pigeons getting used to it even more. Yeah. And you know, the, the, add a 3D printed Falcon head to the drone and the pigeons will be like oh this is like falcon 2.0 we gotta yeah we gotta move yeah but you know that's that's only if pigeons were real and not a government surveillance system so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right that's that's a pretty solid article i'm gonna transition us to article two um staying with the same theme of animal surveillance but i, I we're gonna go into the ocean we're gonna hang out with some dolphins here so this is a joint effort coming out of the University of Aberdeen and Duke University. And there has been a 30-year study of trying to understand how dolphin populations are affected by the changes in their environments, which is pretty bizarre because I, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know yeah. we even cared about dolphin populations because I thought they were like steady or whatever. But I guess it is important. And 
looking at recent events with, uh, you know, pollution and things like that, I guess it makes sense. So one of the problems they mentioned is that whenever a dolphin gets pregnant, the only way that the researchers know that the dolphin was pregnant is by looking at the calf that uh, is with its mother. But that's that's not really the best way to do research because if you don't know who's pregnant, you don't know who had failed pregnancies. So you don't actually get a rate of successful pregnancies, which is a main factor in determining the stability and growth of a given population. Got it. So can this population actually it, like yeah, sustain it's kind of, you, you can only look at the population growth by tracking how many dolphins are there, right? And you can tell that there's a new one born because it's a smaller calf and it's swimming next to a bigger sized dolphin. You have no idea how many dolphins are pregnant. You know, there might be a huge infant mortality or pregnant mortality rate among dolphins affected by factors with global warming or pollution. And we know nothing about it. So we we won't know whether the dolphin population is sustainable. That makes sense. And And as someone who's a dolphin fan, and I also have an aunt who loves dolphins, like, way more than I do. Um, she'd probably take, take this really seriously, right? We, we care a lot about dolphins and want to make sure that they're okay. Well, you know, she's in luck. Make sure you share the episode with her because yeah, there's good news. There's good news. Um, you know, up until now, like, like you just said, basically, um, all, all we haven't been able to have good grasp of this data and researchers have had to rely on their estimation powers to see how different factors are affecting their populations. But now... There are UAVs, and these UAVs are going to be able to go out, fly, and every time the dolphins come up to the surface, they can identify each dolphin so they can differentiate like dolphin A from dolphin B. And then it's interesting, they do image analysis where they take the length of the dolphin and they almost break it up into different slices and they take measurements of the the different widths to see if a dolphin is pregnant or not. And then they're able to track the pregnancy as time goes on. That's insane. The, it's the crazy part to me. I wonder if you, if you understand how they're doing it. Is I don't even know how they're identifying which dolphins I don't are unique from other dolphins. I'm guessing it's probably pretty similar to like the way the face ID works on your iPhone to unlock it. Like someone who's not paying much attention might say like, "Oh, you know, all humans have eyes, eyebrows, nose, and mouths and ears." how can you tell one human from the other based on just the measurements of their face? But I I imagine they can probably do the same thing with these dolphins, right? Look at unique measurements uh, within different points on the body and detect whether it's a different dolphin or not. From what I'm gathering, that's exactly what's happening. With those measurements, they're looking at the small nuances that differentiate one dolphin from another to track, you know, who's who. Um, But yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting because now they get to track like dolphin A's pregnancy from start to finish and then see it with the calf and then monitor the calf and make sure that the calf is okay. And that is allowing them to fully understand in this given environment where we know there's, you know, this kind of toxin or this amount of pollution that has recently happened nearby, or there's this food limitation, how is it exactly impacting these populations? It's non-invasive. It doesn't require researchers to go out and grab a pregnant dolphin and take measurements or anything like that. It's all done remotely. It doesn't impede their life or their movements. And honestly, this is probably the only feasible way of assessing a population of um, dolphin populations or the word that um, they use for water mammals is cessations. Yeah, I learned that today. I'm I'm hoping I'm not. So it's like a crustacean, but yes, cetacean. Did you know that like marine mammals are called cessations? 
No, I didn't know that, but I, it probably comes from their their Latin genus name, right? That I didn't take Latin, but I'll trust you. Yeah, that, that, sound, that that's sounds about guess. right. That sounds about right. So I learned a, a new uh, word today as well, along with all this. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's apparently the best way to measure anything for a population of sea stations because they spend so much time under the water. Like it's just not feasible to send out a human being to start monitoring them one by one. But every time they come close to the surface, this UAV can just take the measurements and report it back remotely. Um, I'm excited about what this means for us getting a better snapshot of how the different things we're doing to this world is actually impacting marine life. Uh, marine life, for the most part, as I understand it, um, is unexplored. Like we, we still don't fully get the mechanics of everything that happens under the uh, surface of the sea. So, yeah, that's I'm the last frontier, right? The ocean. Yeah. Honestly, as from from some of those deep sea creatures I've seen, I think it's one frontier that I'm okay with us not exploring much further. Yeah, but um, dolphins are our friends, right? They're yeah, they're our uh, mammal counterparts. But in the ocean, let's make sure that they're healthy and For safe. Sure. Um, one thing that I think interests me a lot and may also scare me a little bit is I wonder, you know, if the technology exists to do this with drones. Um, computationally with drones watching dolphins i wonder if they're like could very similarly do the same thing with like traffic cameras and security cameras on the street and big brother everyone that's in the u.s or in the world and recognize them based on their facial features and then see where they're going or how their health is doing based on measurements of their bodies (laughs) well if i'm not mistaken there is a system like that implemented in china right where there's cameras everywhere that um, can tell who's who, where they're going. And I think they even run facial analysis to understand distress or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I guess it does exist and maybe I should be scared, but also yeah. I bet there on the plus side, I best bet there are some benefits from that as well. You know, trying to do contact tracing during the pandemic, I bet that made it a lot easier for them. Yeah. I think what, what's interesting is that technology is advancing so much more, like so much faster then we're able to have these conversations of what we're comfortable with, what we're not comfortable with. Do the benefits of mass tracking really outweigh the privacy concerns? And we have to kind of adapt as we go. Um, it's an interesting topic that I, I would love to dig deeper. And honestly, I'm kind of curious as to what our audience thinks about all this. Yeah. So I, I want to hear what you guys think. Send us a message or, you know, reach us, reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter. I, Hit, hit us up in our DMs. I, I want to keep this conversation going. Yeah, I, I agree. And on that note, I also want to mention, we had a, a fan reach out, um, said he's like an avid listener of the podcast and doing a lot of research. And his name's Keith, Keith Shank. Um, he's an engineer. He like got his master's in additive manufacturing. He spoke to us about a bunch of the topics we're talking about. He also said, he hates our intro music. So Keith, thank you for reaching out. We appreciate you for being, you know, a loyal listener of ours, a valuable part of our community. I guess I want to put a poll out to everyone. Let us know what you think about the intro music. If you hate it, if you love it, if you want us to change it, don't want us to change it. Or if you have a suggestion of what we should change it to, we'd love to hear from everyone. Um, Cause you know, the intro music, as well as every other part of the podcast, we're looking to iterate and improve and, you know, do that with the feedback of the people who are part of the community. Yeah. You guys are kind of what makes this special and cool and fun to do. So yeah, we really appreciate any kind of feedback that you could provide. And uh, 
on that note, I think this episode's all good to go. What do you think? I agree. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. And as always, we'll see you in the next episode. Peace. That's all for today. The Next Byte Podcast is produced by Weevolver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit Weevolver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.